Fantasy is a natural human activity. It does not destroy or even insult reason. For creative fantasy is founded on a recognition of fact, but not a slavery to it. From an essay on fairy stories by J.R.R. Tolkien. I'm Nicholas Kotar, author of fantasy inspired by Russian fairy tales and seeker after the good, the true, and the beautiful. You're listening to Fantasy for Our Time. In this podcast, I discuss classic and new fantasy media, have long and involved conversations with authors and storytellers, and explore how stories can help us all live a better, more fulfilling life. Hello, fellow lovers of stories, especially stories of the fantastical and the wondrous. Welcome to this warm, cozy corner of the internet. Now, imagine yourself sipping something delicious by an applewood-scented, wood-burning stove. It's cold and windy outside. No, I mean, it's actually super cold and windy outside. It's so cold that my entire backyard is covered in ice. I don't know how we're going to go outside. Maybe we'll just stay holed up here forever. I don't know. But in here, at least in here, it's warm and quiet and full of potential. Let's talk about stories, lovely people. I came alive to fantasy through Tolkien, as so many of you probably did as well. But I didn't stop there. But probably unlike a lot of you, I didn't immediately go into that whole wide and kind of scary section of the bookstore that has all of modern fantasy in it. You know the one I'm talking about. The one with all of the many long series, some of which are as good as Tolkien, but many of which are not even anywhere near him. I was scared. Let's be honest. I was scared because that thing that I felt when I first read Tolkien was something magical. It was something incredible. It was an inkling, see what I did there, of something that I was afraid I would never find again. And really, for the rest of my life, I've been searching for that little something. Actually, it's a big something. Searching for that that magic that I found in The Lord of the Rings, and that I was able to find only in a few other series since then. In fact, I find it so rarely for myself. And this isn't a criticism of modern fantasy. It's simply a criticism of myself, let's be honest. But that thing that I felt, it was so intense that I've been looking for it forever. And really, it's the reason that I write my own stories, because I'm trying to recreate it in the act of writing. And I'll tell you, sometimes I get kind of close for myself. I'm not saying for other people, but certainly in the act of writing stories, I get close to that feeling that I had when I first read Lord of the Rings. So what am I doing here? Well, this isn't a review podcast. Let's start with that. Or at least not in the way most people mean reviewing. Which is basically personal opinions being flaunted as something significant that you all must listen to me right now. But I heard a qualification in a recent episode of the wonderful podcast called the Science Fiction Podcast, where the host, Damian Walter, sharply drew a line of demarcation between the review and the critique. Now, it might sound a little bit hoity-toity, but what he meant by it was actually something something quite profound, and I, I think I agree with him. Reviewing, more than just simply being an opportunity for you to share your personal opinions, it is that. It doesn't allow for the kind of deep thinking about the relevance of the story that you're reading for your own life and for large for the larger culture. Reviews tend to be very intense, personal, and sometimes they're driven by, as Damon Walter says, 
uh, by algorithms on YouTube and uh, such things. People go to review YouTubers because they like not necessarily to hear interesting things about the stories being read, although that does happen, but sometimes it's more about getting the wild hot take, isn't it? And Damien Walter uh, suggests that critique is something that's deeper. Critique is something that not, not enough of us do, and maybe more of us should do. It's using the critical faculties of our mind to really delve deep into the reason why these stories that we love move us so deeply, and what that might mean for us as people, and what that might mean for how we live. I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir when I say this. Telling stories, reading novels, and enjoying fairy tales is not a childish or simple-minded thing. I think it's a noble calling. Let's call it what it is in some ways, right? Because especially now, especially in difficult times, in times when people are very divided and people are very confused, when there's a lot of trouble in the world, on a personal level, on a societal level, a lot of people have gone to the comforting consolation of fantasy. J.R.R. Tolkien makes this point in his wonderful essay on fairy stories, where he says, quote, if adults are to read fairy stories as a natural branch of literature, and I say, yes, they should, then what are the values and functions of this kind? That is, I think, the most important question, unquote. So says Tolkien, and I agree with him. But his larger point is really interesting, and it's worth diving into more deeply. I'll try to expand on his essential point and to show how important it is, not just for our enjoyment of fantasy, but to help all of us develop a deeper sense of how these stories actually can help us live better. Tolkien begins his essay by defining the essential starting point for any well-told tale. He calls it capital F fantasy. But it's not what we think of as fantasy, as in the genre with the wizards and trolls and elves riding dragons. No, uh, this is not what Tolkien is talking about. Here's how he describes it in his own words. I require a word, he says, which shall embrace both the subcreative art in itself and a quality of strangeness and wonder in the expression derived from the image, a quality essential to fairy stories. He uses the word fantasy, Tolkien does, to describe this reality. So fantasy, as he describes it, as he defines it, is both the telling of a story, of a special kind of story, and that special something that makes it different from our everyday reality. Now, notice what he says it is not. It is not an obscuring of reality or a twisting or perversion of reality. Quite the opposite, as you'll see in a little bit. He continues. Fantasy starts out with an advantage, arresting strangeness. In the first part of the Russian fairy tale of Maria Marievna, which I retell in episode two of my other podcast, In a Certain Kingdom, that arresting strangeness is not hard to find. It's in the shape-shifting of the bird princes and the apparent normality of half-bird, half-prince shapeshifters coming to ask for the princess's hand in marriage. This fairy tale scene, by the way, is gorgeously recreated in a fit of brilliant magical realism by Catherine Valenti in her novel Deathless. When it's done well, this arresting strangeness is what makes every lover of fantasy understand we're not in Kansas anymore. It takes a bit of practice, though, for our too enlightened, too modern brains to come to accept this strangeness as something good, not merely something that's there. Tolkien says, many people dislike being arrested. Yeah. They dislike any meddling with the, quote, primary world, or such small glimpses of it as are familiar to them. But the reason for this dislike, maybe not what you think. 
You see, the resistance to the strangeness of fantasy and fairy tale has at least something to do with a lie that many of us have unconsciously been drinking with our mother's milk. That lie is this. You may have heard it. Maybe you heard it in school. Only realistic literature of a particularly snobby kind is worthy of being called great literature. And you see this attitude everywhere. I even see it in people who should know better, people who are well-educated, who read all kinds of different genres and still feel the need to make an excuse that they are not spending their time reading the latest Pulitzer Prize winner. And even if we do read a word of those Nobel or Pulitzer Prize winners these days, I'm not talking about the classics of previous centuries, we often have to pretend to like them, even if we don't really know why we should. Now, it's, I'm not digging realistic fiction. I'm not. There's some really beautiful realistic novels out there, even today. I merely object to people labeling a very specific genre of literature as true literature, as high literature. After all, that kind of realistic literary fiction has an incredibly short history. If we consider that the vast history of human creativity, of human storytelling, in it, the fairy tale, the original fantasy, predates the realistic novel by thousands of years. You know, one possible reason that people have always told fairy tales is this, enchantment. Not magic in the sense of creating magic out of the stuff in the woods, calling down spirits to do your bidding. No, no, no. Enchantment is the ability to produce a secondary world into which both the writer and the reader can enter and both their senses reach satisfaction, both the writer and the reader. That's a beautiful thing. And in fact, Tolkien believed, and I agree, that enchantment is something that we need desperately. Why, do you ask? Well, different ages have answered this question differently. I think that in our own age, we need enchantment because of something that Tolkien calls recovery. He briefly alludes to the fact that many people in our times have lost the ability to perceive things that are beautiful or to be moved by them, even works of art. Now, partially that's because many works of modern art are simply not beautiful, or you need to have a special kind of language or a cipher to understand what it means to appreciate what it might be telling you and then maybe get a sense of, oh wow that's really interesting but very but not very often are you going to go to you know a modern gallery and come out of that experience moved you might but not everybody will in fact it takes a special kind of pre prepared person somebody who really appreciates modern art to really come out of that in any way moved most people don't really many people don't really have experiences of beauty like that anymore partly it's because of a kind of weariness a kind of tiredness that's come over our society as a result of our lives being largely materialistic and not really dedicated to the things that are deeper we've lost the ability in a lot of ways to perceive the beauty in everyday things part of it of course is the fact that we're losing ourselves in virtual worlds all the time and we're told more and more by our advertising overlords that that's something that we should be doing more and more. Here's what Tolkien says. But the true, true road of escape from such weariness is not to be found in making all things dark or unremittingly violent, nor in the mixing of colors on through subtlety to drabness, meaning if you mix too many colors together, you start getting gray and brown and that's it, right? And the fantastical complication of shapes to the point of silliness and on towards delirium. Before we reach such states which are dangerous, we need recovery. He was so right. Compare the average amount of violence in a new Netflix show to what was allowed on television 10 years ago. The difference, if you haven't really been paying attention, do. 
just for your own interest, compare the difference. The difference is shocking. And if you're about to tell me that violence is in the eye of the beholder, you should consider that there is some compelling scientific evidence to suggest that watching violent content and participating in it vicariously, especially through things like video games, can actually make you more violent or can give you actual violent urges. Add to that the increasingly virtual way in which we live, constantly connected to that smartphone of ours that distracts us from our actual rooted physical lives and we might have a real problem. What we need is not more elaborate distractions. We don't need better virtual realities, better machines to simulate new and better worlds. Although that was the reaction of some people after seeing Avatar, if you'll remember. There were some people who had Avatar uh, withdrawal after seeing that movie and couldn't imagine living in real life because Avatar was so beautiful. Funny to think about it now, especially if you compare the level of CGI to what it was back then. But it did happen. No, what we really need is to see this world again with new, with fresh eyes. Strangely enough, the simulated reality, so to speak, of fantasy is actually very good at helping us do exactly that. Here's what Tolkien think is a reason why. Quote, fantasy is made out of the primary world. But a good craftsman loves his material and has a knowledge and feeling for clay, stone, and wood, which only in the art of making can give which only the art of making can give. And actually, fairy stories deal largely with simple, fundamental things, untouched by fantasy, with a capital F. But these simplicities are made all the more luminous by their setting. It was in fairy stories that I first divined the potency of the words and the wonder of the things, such as stone and wood and iron, tree, grass, house and fire, bread and wine. But that still leaves the question, and that's me talking, uh, of why we need such escape from drab reality in the first place. And why do we need the consolation of re-enchanting our beautiful reality? As with any self-respecting writer of fantasy fiction, I began as a reader. As an Orthodox Christian, a child of a very literate mother, and a PK, for those who don't know, that means priest kid, to boot, I was often faced with a dilemma that Hounds people, and not only Christians, but generally a lot of people in different walks of life who hear this question around them from different people. Is reading fantasy bad for you? I'm sure you've heard some variant of this dilemma. All these tales of wizards and goblins, they're silly, right? There's not nothing good or serious about them. And that's at the best. But what they could be is morbid delusion. They might be distracting you from your, the business, the real work of your real life. Not only are they distracting, but some of them might actually contain elements that harm you, turning you, like it or not, into some kind of dark version of yourself. After all, didn't I just say that there were some findings in neuroscience about the actual effects of looking at violence in media? Okay, well, there are two things happening here. The first is easily dealt with. It's the assertion that some people have that escapism is inherently bad and that good literature is only tolerable because it's serious. Fairy tales aren't serious. They're escapist. Forget about it. Luckily for us, the great Tolkien comes to our rescue once again. Here's what he says. I do not accept the tone, the tone of scorn or pity with which escape is now so often used, a tone for which the uses of the word outside literary criticism give no warrant at all. In what the misusers of escape are fond of calling real life, Escape is evidently, as a rule, very practical and may even be heroic. 
Don't forget he's writing right at the time of World War II. In real life, it's difficult to blame it unless it fails. In criticism, it would seem to be the worse, the better it succeeds. Evidently, we are faced by a misuse of words and also by a confusion of thought. Why should a man be scorned if, finding himself in a prison, he tries to get out and go home? Or if, when he cannot do so, he thinks and talks about other topics than jailers and prison walls? The world outside has not become far less real because the prisoner can't see it. And using escape in this way, the critics chosen the wrong word. And what is more, they are confusing and not always by a sincere error. The escape of the prisoner with the flight of the deserter. I just love that quote. It's so much in there. So central to Tolkien's ideas about fantasy is this. The real world is not a very nice place to live in very often. It's a place filled with ugliness, with industrialization. That's how he would see it with AI surveillance states that are more interested in putting down a compliant populace than in nurturing intelligent, virtuous citizens of a polis. We're seeing that more and more all around us, especially post-COVID. To want to escape from this real life, well, that's nothing less than heroic. Reading stories that ignore this so-called real life does two things. First, it provides us consolation and rest, especially to a person exhausted by the never-ending machine movement of our modern lives. But second, it reminds us that the real life of the 21st century in its post-industrial, pandemic-ridden context is not really real life at all. It's nothing like the rooted, deep life we could be leading. Tolkien says, I heard a clerk of Oxenford declare that he welcomed the proximity of mass production robot factories and rest, oh, sorry, and the roar of self-obstructive mechanical traffic because it brought his university into contact with real life. The notion that motor cars are more alive than centaurs or dragons is curious, says Tolkien. That they are more real than horses is pathetically absurd. How real, how startlingly alive is a factory chimney compared with an elm tree, poor obsolete thing, insubstantial dream of an escapist. <laughs> yeah. Irony much? Add to the external ugliness of this real life, the sad reality that we human beings prefer the comforts of our own self-damaging habits very often to the wholesome discomfort of actually living a deep-rooted life. But good fantasy, good fairy tales, they can plant little seeds of discontent with our fallen lot and remind us that actually we're made for better things. We are all heroes waiting for a wizard to give us a call to adventure. But not an adventure of self-seeking pleasure or Ident or finding your own authentic self or creating an identity from nothing. No, I'm talking about the adventure of choosing the difficult, painful, and largely selfless life of service, a life of rootedness and depth, a life of living well and deeply. But there's even more to this escape than that. And here's where Tolkien gets theological. There are other and more profound escapisms that have always appeared in fairy tale and legend, he says. There are other things more grim and terrible to fly from than the noise, stench, ruthlessness, and extravagance of the internal combustion engine. No, the guy did not like cars. There are hunger, thirst, poverty, pain, sorrow, injustice, and death. And even when men are not facing hard things such as these, there are ancient limitations from which fairy stories offer a sort of escape, and old ambitions and desires touching the very roots of fantasy, to which they offer a kind of satisfaction and consolation. He's talking about the limitation of death. It's a remarkable truth that most cultures on earth contain some kind of story of an ancient 
very primeval state that is very often beautiful and blissful from which humanity was cast out for one reason or another. Fantasy can remind us of that primeval place and time. And more than that, it can make clear that to desire escape to that place, even for a moment, is not delusion. It's actually what makes us human. The consolation of fairy stories, continues Tolkien, the joy of the happy ending, or more correctly, of the good catastrophe. The sudden joyous turn, this joy is not essentially escapist nor fugitive. In its fairy tale or otherworldly setting, it is a sudden and miraculous grace, never to be counted on to occur again. It does not deny the existence of sorrow and failure. The possibility of these is necessary to the joy of the deliverance. It denies universal final defeat, in the face of much evidence, if you will. It gives a fleeting glimpse of joy, joy beyond the walls of the world, poignant as grief. Gosh, I love that line so much. So good fairy tales, good fantasies can achieve, can achieve that most difficult thing, a quality that can be defined as the inner consistency of reality. But what does that mean? As Tolkien beautifully explains, it is difficult to imagine how exactly a good story can simulate the inner consistency of reality if the work does not in some way partake of actual reality. The peculiar quality of the joy in good, successful fantasy can thus be explained as a sudden glimpse of an actual underlying reality or truth. It is actually an answer to the question, is it true? That's why fairy tales are not morbid delusions. On the contrary, they remind us of the most essential reality of all, what it means to be truly human. And that's the portal through which I'm going to be exploring fantasy stories in this podcast. And I really hope that you join me on this exciting journey. Thank you for listening. If you like what you've heard and you'd like to delve more deeply into this topic, check out my audio series on stories that unite during dark times, available exclusively at nicholaskotar.com forward slash stories that unite. And if you're hankering for more fantasy stories, check out my own Raven Sun epic fantasy series inspired by Russian fairy tales, available now in audio, paperback, and ebook formats. This show is produced by the wonderful Derek Cummins, and the beautiful title music is Lighthouse in the Rain, originally composed by Vilislava Franta. You can find her work on SoundCloud.